אהלן. אהלן ביק. שלום אחי. What's going on, brother? Oh, you know. Um, I just got out of, the, out of the water out here in Queens. And uh, if there's a little salt water in my head, you'll, yeah, you'll be able to go. Classic yeshiva excuse. Yeah, just yeah, the typical. Yeah. We're all surfers. <laughs> How the kids? Kids are terrible. No, they're, they're super cute, but God, they are so demanding. <laughs> um, Chai became articulate. No, we thought that Chai entered the terrible twos uh, half a year ago, but turns out they weren't as terrible as they could be, apparently. Oh, it's terrible threes. No, she's, she's two. Like She'll be two in a month. And it's, it's, def- it's very much there. It's more terrible. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, there's probably something in the gematria about that like numero like two two just means you're fucked you know like two <laughs> two means never have a um, a couple a couple of years ago Hana thought that each time that I engaged in some religious experience it was because I was getting more spiritual but now it's just me trying to escape <laughs> I think it's a lot of people in religion to be honest <laughs> like ah oh, the babies are crying I think it's mincha I think I got to go. You know, <laughs> the neighbors are being very loud. Have you thought about Christ? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could go to church, you know, it's half the day. I don't have to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So today's piece, welcome back to the Zal podcast, I should say. Should we have a theme song? You know, this is where this is where the theme. I have a theme song in mind. I just need to find some freaking Jews in New York City to record it for me. Sing, it's not like that. Because we had this thing. Good. We had this thing. I hope he's not. He doesn't listen to the podcast. But we had this thing in Yeshiva, New Haven, that whenever Gotti came into the room, they would do this thing of bang, bang, clap, bang, bang, clap. And then they would sing a Hasidic niggin. And then they would, in the middle, they'd be like, Gotti with the body, something like that. It and, sounds like a camp song. It oh, sounds like what you would do at a summer camp. It's, it's like the overlap of uh, camp song, bang, bang, clap, with a, but it's to the tune of like a very ancient Hasidic melody. Tell me this, just a simple, this is, I don't mean this with any disrespect, is Hasidic Judaism summer camp? Is it basically... <laughs> But then, but then there wouldn't be an overlap. In other words, what I just said wouldn't make sense. The entire thing would be summer camp. It would be redundant to say it's an overlap of Hasidic Judaism and, and summer Maybe camp. the Venn diagram is very tight. You right, know? could be. Basically could. a circle. I would say not. I bet define summer camp. You know, it's a lot of guys hanging out. <laughs> In that case, yes. <laughs> All right. All right. What do you got? Um, so today we're going to be learning a piece of Rambam, uh, Maimonides in, in English, uh, known, one of the few Jews that are known both for their esoteric work, mystical, philosophical work, so uh, in his Guide to the Perplexed, and then for his exoteric work, his legal work, his very practical work of Sefer Hayyad, which is the... Uh, the first, I would say, complete or maybe only complete, um, maybe list of Jewish laws. Um, so he really was thorough 
in covering all the topics. There are others that attempted at it, either they were unsuccessful or they limited their scope to very practical laws. He included everything, so he got it all. Should we do the full bio or no? I mean, that's most, that's most of what I know. Born in Spain, uh, due to persecution, had to move to Egypt. And in Egypt, he somehow got appointed to be the pharaoh, if they still had pharaoh at that time's uh, doctor. He was his physician uh, and also managed to accomplish writing two very, very seminal texts in, in Judaism. Uh, the Rambam is especially close to the hearts of Chabad people because in 1984, the Rebbe instituted the daily study of Rambam. Mm. So they, he, the Rebbe took his uh, set of laws, which is thousands of particular laws, hundreds of chapters, and said that uh, with different tracks, with, uh, you'll cover the entire Maimonides in one year. Mm. So, so we actually completed it a couple of, a week ago today, I should say, a week ago. And um, so it's a hot topic right now in Chabad. Is this something that he wrote after leaving Spain? Because this is really, a, a lot of it has to do with, you know, what you do when you come up against persecution. Or, um... You know, I wonder, the piece, you're right, the piece we're learning today uh, is very much tied to a Jew's reaction to persecution. Yeah. Uh, I would have to assume, I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, I could Google it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was written in Egypt. So yeah, that's a great point. Uh, a like lot, a of, lot it, of personal experience. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it probably had, uh, had the personal lens to it. Last, last intro question. I mean, this is silly, but at my friend, one of my oldest friends growing up, they had a dog named Rambam. Is that offensive? Um, in certain circles, you'd probably get stoned for it. Yeah. Uh, Chabad probably would chuck, chuckle it off, you know. It was yeah. not just, they loved the dog. <laughs> right. But for the observant Jews, dogs were chasing us in Eastern Europe from like day one. So there's still right. a lot of PTSD with that. With that. Not this guy sat around, he sat around <laughs> and licked his butt. You know what I mean? If that was the Cossacks, we'd be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'd Every pogrom is just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, you know. We saw a scrap of meat. We sit under the table. Go have a go to show. We'd still be in Eastern Europe if those were the pogroms. We would. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so for the Rambam today, I think that's that's enough for the for the prefaces. I feel like the majority of this podcast has just been prefacei. <laughs> Preface conclusion. <laughs> Terrible the, sandwich. Right, with like the actual sand, the actual content being like a sliver of salami in between those two pieces. Yeah, of bread. Yeah. <laughs> Camp lunch. See, back <laughs> at it. Oh, there it is. There it is. Um, so we're in the first book of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, his set of laws. The book is called Mada. Maybe if we ever make a Facebook page, we'll put up the Safari link. It would be really easy for people just to click. Uh, it's in the first set of laws, the known as the foundations of the Torah. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter five, and hopefully, if it doesn't take too much time, we'll be doing halachot laws number one, two, and three of chapter five. Okay, you see me, Adam? You with me? I'm with you. Kol beis Yisrael mitzuvan al kedush Hashem. Every, the entire house of Israel. I'll translate literally because the commentaries explained that that unusual language is coming to include both men and women, uh, are obligated in sanctifying God's name. 
Hagadol Hazeh, God's great name. Like it says in the verse, and this is from the Torah, um, you should sanctify me among the Jewish people. So what does it mean to sanctify God's name? We'll get to that in a bit. In addition to that, they're also warned against not to desecrate God's name. What does it mean to desecrate God's name? We'll get to that in a minute. Shenemar, and the, and the source for this is, thou shall not desecrate my holy name. So pretty straightforward in the Torah. So now the Rambam explains, Ketzat, how is this? When a, I would translate Gentile, but let's be more specific. It literally means an idol worshiper gets up, he rises. The Yenes Esisrael and forces a Jew to transgress one of the mitzvahs, so either transgress a mitzvah or, and the other option, this is the idol worshiper holding a gun or a sword to the person's head, says, or I will kill you. So in that case, it's better to transgress the sin than to be killed. In other words, um, put a little, you know, hamper on your spiritual life, you know, get a sin under your belt and survive. Shenemar ba mitzvahs, like it says about the fulfilling fulfillment of mitzvahs, it says you should fulfill them and live by them, implying in the verse that any de, any engagement in mitzvahs should guarantee your life. And the moment your life is put into question with the fulfillment of a mitzvah, then embrace your life and don't die for the sake of any mitzvah. You should live with them and not die for them. And let's say someone wants to be extra scrupulous. And he wants to say, you know what? Despite me not having to put my life on the line for the sake of this mitzvah, I'm going to still put my life on the line. Let's say, let's say someone says that. So the Ramam says, you are, uh, you are, obligated for the loss of your soul. In other words, you're not doing the right thing. You're, you're suffering spiritually as a result of it. So even though it seems to be that you're embracing the religion even more because you're basically putting your own neck on the line for the sake of the fulfillment of a good deed Jewishly, nevertheless, we're saying it's considered a wrong thing spiritually. So let's just give the, the classical hypothetical. Um, I think this is great, by the way. I mean, this is like, this checks out for me as a way to exist in the world. Right. You're saying from a from a more progressive standpoint, this makes sense. I mean, it's only from a, I mean, literally extremist angle that you that you wouldn't. Um, I mean, I, you know, and I understand that there's a lot of caveats to that, um, but you know, just the idea that on Yom Kippur you're fasting, but if you're sick, don't do it. Right. And, and the idea of saying no, do it even if it makes you sick is is a sort of twisted way of using. Right. Religion in this sort of absolutist sense. So that... Right. But no, I agree with you. Like as a, as a rabbi in the world, out of out of the confines of, you know, Brooklyn, uh, this isn't this is an easy halacha to defend. You know, I don't feel like I need to open the can of apologetics for this. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, the, the the one thing I will say is the difference between, let's say, this case and fasting on Yom Kippur is fasting on Yom Kippur is just between you and you and God. Mm. Whereas over here, there's a massive messaging question that we're going to get into in the caveats and in, in halacha number two and three. And even within this halacha, it's like, if I'm 
a coward, let's say, and say, you know what, I'm going to transgress what I consider right for the sake of protecting my life. Um, does that send bad messages about my religion? Or will that have an ill effect on my neighbor Jews, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I, I just want to say, um, as to your comparison between this and Yom Kippur, there is definitely a common thread, but the cases has some essential differences. Isn't there also like, and maybe this applies to both, just the idea that in some cases it might actually be kind of a fine line, like the idea that someone's got a gun to your head, a sword at your throat. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily how it works out. Maybe somebody says, oh, I'm going to keep throwing rocks at your house or right. oh, I'm going to make fun of you in the market or, or, or. That's a perfect question. I really don't know the answer to that. That's you're going to have to talk to maybe more you than me. In other words, you'll have to talk to the sociologists and the historians <laughs> more than the rabbis. In other words, to say what leads to what, what leads to what and how, how long is that bridge? between you know yeah, maybe yeah, eventually that, 200 years later this could lead to you know some something terrible but if it's not true. imminent is it considered life-threatening you know it's a tough question yeah and the same with that's the same with fasting where you go well am i i like how sick is sick right you know and that's it's totally for you to decide so right right you know. you're right and these are tough questions that rabbis have to answer every yom kippur you're right so there's a lot of you're, you're absolutely right there's a lot of comparisons to that to that case as well um, just one note over here, but let's let's give it a quick, I was, I was about to give the hypothetical, but I haven't. Let's just give a hypothetical example just so we could run with it for our further explanation. So let's say we're living in communist Russia and they have laws against the performance of Judaism openly and you're looking to build a sukkah, right? And they are threatening, not just sending you, exiling you to Siberia, but they're literally going to put a bullet in your head if you build a sukkah outside, thereby displaying your religiosity to the, to this, this happened every single sukkah for many, many years in Soviet Russia. What are you supposed to do in that case? Uh, do you openly live your Sukkot life and have risk having a bullet put through your skull or not? You know, so according to this first halacha in Rambam, as, as far as we know from this first halacha, we'll get into the caveats in number two and three, but as far as number one, the Rambam is ruling that you shall not build that sukkah. You should not put your life at risk. It's better to transgress a mitzvah than to be killed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I don't, I wonder like in, I don't know, Christian law. No, I don't know if anyone does with, within my circle of friends, but I wonder how big of a topic the question of whether to transgress or to be killed is in basically any other culture. Right, right. It's just there every holiday, you know? They try to kill us, we survive, right. let's eat. Right. Right, yeah, it, it is just Jews, so it's much just on a this. question, like it's almost, we're in the minority. Like living in America in, in, in 2021, we're in the minority of Jews throughout Jewish history that aren't persecuted for their Judaism. Right, and, and, and you know, much less you than me in this case, but like we also pass as anything, as anybody. So, you know, it's very different from a time where, say in Soviet Russia, where your passport said Jew, mm -hmm. your nationality was Jew. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one way, or your face just showed it, or some other place where it, it was just, there's no way people didn't know. And so here there's the two levels of maybe somebody knows, 
and is fine with it, doesn't do anything, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe somebody doesn't even know, which, you know, yeah. other minority groups don't right. necessarily have that's access a, to that. That's a good point, too. Yeah. But if, yeah. So for the majority of Jewish history, they knew and often they they put uh, shackles on your observance. You know, they tried to prevent it. In, I feel in like Europe. in Egypt, it was probably pretty easy to tell, you know, it's <laughs> You know, it's, it's the guy who's branded with a chain on his ankle. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> is he? I don't know. Is that maybe style? Just, we don't know. Yeah, maybe he's just, it's a kink. Maybe he's like his wife says, hey, you know. I don't know. Okay, so that's, that's that. Um, oh, another thing, the, the Rambam, uh, I don't know who the final halacha is, but I was reading in other texts that the Rambam disagrees with certain sages and those sages say, I don't want to go too far into the weeds with this, but those sages say that actually in cases where you're not obligated to be killed for something, right? And you still get killed for it. The Rambam said, not just you're not obligated in getting killed for that. You did a bad thing. That's what the Rambam mm -hmm. ended off with. Other people disagree and they say, even in cases where you don't have to get killed for it, when you do take that bullet for the sake of your uh, religion and your belief system, uh, that is considered a good thing. So there's a minor dispute, minor slash major dispute between the Rambam and them. Sure. But the Rambam is explicit and says, no, don't think you're you know, extra scrupulous in your religion and therefore you're going to take that bullet. Do not take that bullet and do not, and do not keep the mitzvah. It's better to transgress the mitzvah than to die. I'm looking at this other translation that seems like it's sort of right in the middle. It's not like it's your fault and you did a bad thing and it's definitely not you did a good thing, but it says, uh, if you chose death and did not transgress, his blood be upon his own head, which just basically is like, hey man, you know, it's on you. Not necessarily like, but it's just, that was your responsibility and your choice that has nothing to do with what the law says or has nothing to do with what the ethics says. Interesting. Just, you know. It's an interesting sure. translation because honestly, sure. I, I always struggle because this this term, Mishayev Benafsho, is a common term. We're going to go into the weeds, but um, yeah. it's a common term and it's, it's, uh, it appears in Pirkei Avod, if you remember, we studied that together also. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's not saying you're deserving of any death sentence because apparently the guy's already dead. So it's impossible to be translated <laughs> as deserving of the death sentence. It's a, it's a spiritual, spiritual thing. So what about the sanctification? Is that... That just brings to me like pure first commandment, basically. That's the, you know. As far it, as when you when you do sanctify it, what it what it means uh, to sanctify and not profane a name is like don't take the Lord's name in vain. But it's like, what does that what does that actually what does that actually mean in this context or in general? Oh, um, I guess well representing maybe is a term I would think of, you know, because humans are created in God's image and then we believe Jews are God's children. So you represent something and your existence is an existence of lots of messaging. So when you act accordingly, um, you're sanctifying that which you represent, I guess. Okay. And when you, when you uh, desecrate something, you're desecrating that which you represent. Um, you just reminded me, I misunderstood you from at the beginning of your statement, and you reminded me of a famous talk the Rebbe gave about this, about this law. The Rebbe says that this is the first law of, when to of how to sanctify God's name, right? Mm -hmm. And usually, colloquially, when the term sanctification of God's name is used, it's usually used in cases where you do take that bullet. 
we're going to get into the cases of when you are supposed to take that bullet, you know, and, and die for your religion in, in, in Halachas 2 and 3. But the, the Rebbe's question is, how come the first law, almost the basis of the laws of sanctification of God's name, is a case where you're not supposed to sanctify? Do you understand the question? That it's a negative commandment. It's saying don't, in other words, sanctifying God's name usually means take that bullet and represent God well. You know, don't, you don't rebel on your religion. Don't go against your messaging and your identity. Don't take that bullet. Thou shalt not, you know, right. it's a negative. Don't not, don't do this. Right. Where over here, we're just saying, oh, this case, you're supposed to transgress the sin you're supposed to you know so why is that the first law if this is some caveat deep into the halacha we get it but the first law to start the basis of how to sanctify god's name is don't sanctify god's name don't take that bullet it's right. weird so the rebbe comes the rebbe elaborates on a beautiful messaging thing and he says that people look for the dramatic you know live wire very instagram heavy uh -huh. moments in their Judaism. You say, you point to that moment, that's where he took the bullet for God, you know? That's yeah. the exciting ones. But really, 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 <laughs> the major key of sanctifying God's name is just the day-to-day -day living as a Jew and not dying. Right, but this is good rhetoric. You start hot, come in hot, fire people, oh, you know, it's a good book. I'm reading. Right, right. So the sanctification of God's name is don't do the, necessarily do the exciting things of taking that bullet. Rather, live another day and continue your moral and spiritual life. I see. So it's beautiful. Is, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a lot of times when people say, if anybody is, you know, especially observant and will say, well, he's taking the Lord's name, you know, if you stub your toe and you say, ah, Jesus Christ, it's like, is that profane or is that just an appeal that truly is honoring something like that's what you think maybe it's worse than stubbing your toe you know right. but, but i hear what you're saying i actually had a this is a terrible source for a very <laughs> the least authoritative source possible but i had a camper that quoted a rabbi that i've never heard of um and he said that when he stubbed his toe or whatever and he said gosh damn whatever Mm -hmm. uh, the rabbit corrected him and said, it's better to say Jesus Christ in that case, because you're not using God's name in vain. <laughs> to the contrary, you're using some quote, fake, fake hashtag fake God's name in vain. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. It's, it's almost a good thing. I'm like, I don't know if that is, you know, legit or what, but uh, it's relevant to what you said. Oh, right. I mean, Jesus was a, you know, a nice guy that did some, you know, reform work to orthodox <laughs> Jew. I mean, it would be like i should just pick a guy like get it into my head where i, I stub my toe in the middle of the night and i just go like ah oh, moisha greenberg <laughs> marvin schneiderman <laughs> and there's some guy who's like i have a feeling i should you know like some guy you know gets to him in the middle of the night all right all right so that's number one the the first halacha is when you shouldn't die for god's name when you should stay living and almost go against what God wants, you know, let's say, uh, eat that pork instead of taking the bullet, eat the pork mm -hmm. instead of taking the bullet. That's the basis of everything. So in other words, in mo the rest, number two and three will be exceptions and caveats, but, um, number one, the basis is in most cases you choose life, you choose to live and, and continue being Jewish once that gun is away from your head. But while the gun is at your head, you do what's against Judaism for that moment. So what are the caveats? Here's the caveats. Number two, 
When was this said? Bishar mitzvahs. With all the other mitzvahs. So we believe that there's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah, positive and negative commandments. Uh, so with 610 of them, you continue living and you do not agree to get shot. You eat that pork. Chutz, the exceptions are these three. These are known as the cardinal sins within Judaism. These three are Mavod Azara, uh, idol worship, Giloy Arayas, adultery, and Shvichas Damim, and murder. So if someone's holding a gun to your head and tells you to transgress, to commit one of these three cardinal sins, in that case, it's you're supposed to get shot instead of transgressing one of these cardinal sins. For these three sins, if the person tells you, if this idol worshiper that's holding the gun to your head tells you, transgress one of these or I will kill you. It's in this case that we say the sanctification of God's name is with you taking the bullet, with you dying and not transgressing these three cardinal sins. Period. Full stop. So, so it's in these cases that we say we'd prefer you die, Jewishly. Mm-hmm. That was caveat one. Number two, when did we say that only with these three sins is it better to get killed? At the time when this idol worshiper is seeking his own benefit with this performance of a sin that you're about to do. For example, where he's forcing you to build a house on Shabbat, you know, he's preventing you from resting on Shabbat, or to cook something on Shabbat for him. So he's, just, he's not, it's not really a deep ideological message. He just wants some real estate. You know, he just mm-hmm. wants a, a bowl of soup. It's not, it's nothing philosophical. Or he's forcing a woman to sleep with him. And we're talking about, in the footnote, they emphasize that we're talking about an unmarried woman, because if it's a married woman, then obviously it falls into the, previous statement of adultery. So we're talking about an unmarried woman over here. Uh, so in that case, it's just for his own benefit. It's not a messaging, philosophical, ideological statement. Uh, and the, uh, therefore, you generally live unless it's one of these three sins and you don't, you don't agree to get shot. However, aval, however, but if his purpose is strictly messaging, it's strictly for the statement, right? It's not just because he wants a bowl of soup. Right? If, he's, if it's just in private and there's no one, so to speak, to receive that message, there's, he, the Rambam says, if there isn't 10 Jews present, so it's considered um, in private. The moment there's 10 Jews present and it's considered a public domain, and if it's less than 10 Jews, it's considered a private domain. This has a lot to do with minion stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a conversation for another day. So if it's considered in private and he's strictly looking to make a message, to make a statement of you transgressing. So, so long it's in private, we still say, don't take the bullet. Don't die for the sake of your religion. But if it was in public, so in other words, this statement does have an audience a legitimate audience, a sizable audience of 10 Jews. In that case, in that case, we say you do take the bullet and you do die for the sake of your religion and you do not transgress it. Even if it's one of the other 610 mitzvahs and not one of these cardinal sins, 
in that case where he's trying to make a statement with you transgressing and there and it's in a public domain in that case we say don't send that message and don't transgress it and it's better you die for the, your belief system that's wild yeah so i mean i understand that 10 you know 10 jews is a threshold number mm -hmm. like that that's a gaggle of jews like that's where you've hit but yeah but the concept of dying for your belief system is is, is strange to you. You're saying what? I mean, what is, is that martyred? Like we call that martyrdom. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's considered a sanctification of God's name, martyrdom. It's those those two terms are very much overlapping. Um, and why does the publicness matter when it's something? I mean, it really is so honor based at that point. Even though everybody knows privately based on. The first Mishnah, everybody knows privately, if it were a thing like this, and this happened to any one right. of us, we would all do something different. Right. But now that we're all watching this thing right. together, and all have these separate views, I mean, the same view apart, but now that we're all together, if it were me, and you're the 10th Jew, just leave, you know what I mean? Just turn away. Right. Walk out of <laughs> Save your friend. Stop watching. Break the minion, you know, go, go to the bathroom, you know? You know, oh, sorry, excuse me. I can't with the soup. I gotta, you know what I mean? <laughs> My kids and the, you know, I gotta pick them up from, the, you know, the, and so. The play group ended. Yeah. No, but you have to remember, obviously it's hilarious, but the, we're talking about in a case where he's literally holding a, a weapon to their heads. I don't think they have the ability to just walk out. But as a sociologist, you should appreciate this the most, I feel. Like, in other words, it's, there's the same action could be undertaken in private, circumstances and it will have less of an effect than if a message was sent with that action that's the concept i mean of course of course that's true it's just this kind of attitude doesn't seem like it jives perfectly with with the other like this seems like it hasn't been the same kind of theoretical perspective, spiritual perspective carried through. It's like, it's just turned more intense here instead of following the train of thought. It's right. actually that's, kind of that's, changing it's, it. That's exactly the point. It's supposed to be an exception of the first of the first law. This is when it's not as the first law states. This is the case where you don't- continue. Where does conversion, what does conversion count as? Conversion of-, of a, Somebody saying you have the converter, okay. Oh. Definitely into this category. I, I was gonna. It's but funny, how, but in which, in which part? In which part? I mean, it, it could only go on idolatry, but it's not necessarily like not all conversions would be into idol worship. Okay, so I think the case of mass conversions, or most cases in Jewish history of someone forcing someone to convert, it was a case of mass conversion. So mm -hmm. therefore, we're talking about uh, number three, which we haven't learned yet. We'll get to number three uh, soon. Okay. But if it's a private conversion, and we're talking about a conversion not to, so conversion definitely falls into the category of a messaging statement thing, and not just because he wants a bowl of soup. If it falls in that category, and you're not technically transgressing any of the cardinal sins, and it's in private, maybe you'd have to talk to a, a, a rabbi with a bigger beard than me for a, for a directive on that. Maybe, maybe, maybe in that case, we could say that the Rambam would hold you don't, you don't take the bullet if it's in private. But again, for the statement things, if it's in public, you still take the bullet. There, I, I was going to quote you a, Talmud, a piece of Talmud that I read, but while looking at different footnotes, and this is from the tractate of Sanhedrin in the Talmud, and it says this statement of public 
a public uh, forsaking of Judaism, and we say you take the bullet if it's in public, is true not just about Jewish law, but even about Jewish culture. So there was, a, I don't know if this was an actual case or a theoretical one given by the Talmud, but it says even to change the style of your sandal strap, apparently there was like a sandal strap style worn by Jews mostly. And if someone's holding a gun to your head and you're in front of, you're in the marketplace and there's 200 Jews present or whatever, and they say, change your sandal strap, you know, wear the Gentile sandal strap. In that case, even for a freaking sandal strap, we would say, take the bullet because that, that, you know, the bending, the public bending toward a will that isn't a Jewish one is too strong of a statement. Yeah. I mean, frankly, if somebody asked me to put like cheese on a lox bagel or something like <laughs> cheese, like a, you know, like a craft single, I would, I would die. I would die. I would die, <laughs> die for it. I would Even, die for that. Wow. Yeah, no, because crazy like that. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And in return, I will, I will quote you a line from my rabbi growing up, uh, Mel Brooks. <laughs> have you, have you seen um, History of the World Part One? Uh, excerpts. I Moisha Greenblatt. Uh, <laughs> you really, you have to. There's a line where they, I mean, there's a scene where it's the Inquisition and Torquemada is torturing him, and he goes. Uh, like stick a red hot poker down my throat, stick one up my butt, make me a rotisserie Jew. You know? <laughs> and so that, you know, I've thought like, what is, because there were so many different responses to that. And exile was maybe one choice for different people and conversion was a choice that some people made or didn't. And, and that public or privateness maybe factored into that in a lot of ways. Who saw, who knew? I wonder, you know, a, a classic example would be the Muranos. Um, they openly practiced, I think they openly practiced Christianity, which according to some opinions is con considered idolatry, mm. um, according to some opinions. And what, just because they did it doesn't mean it's right, A, but B, assuming it is right, what would be the justification? I don't know. These are tough questions. Okay. It was also like another element at play. This is a whole nother discussion for another day as well. But as far as judgments go, um, Jewish theology tends away from being judgmental of things that you didn't experience. Like, let's say objectively, the Moranos are wrong in their conversion openly and private adherence to Judaism. That doesn't mean we go on a, you know, a rampage against, <laughs> against Moranos because. Uh, sure. You don't do this revisionist history where you right. say, well, now, according to the way we interpret things now and. Right. Or even, even, even without revisionism, even if it's objectively wrong, you know, and they, let's say they ignored all the rabbis of their time, let's say, and all the rabbis of their time and people that listened to them did die for their religion or did escape Spain or whatever. We didn't go through that, you know, so it gives us very, very little uh, hmm. per per permits to start yeah. like just going into that historical area and be like, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, okay. Number three, so let's just recap quickly. Number one says basically live, in most cases you choose to live. In, uh, unless, in most cases you choose to live and you don't take the bullet. Uh, there's three cardinal sins that in all situations of those cardinal sins, you always take the bullet and you don't live. And then those are murder, idolatry, and adultery. 
And then in the second half of number two, we said, now with regards to the other 610, if the person isn't doing it just for their own personal benefit, like getting a bowl of soup, but their intention is to send a message and that message can be received by a group of 10 Jews, a, a public domain. In that case, you take the bullet and you don't transgress it, even if it's just a random messaging thing. We quoted the Talmud saying even the changing of a strap, if it's in public and they're looking to make a statement about the Jews or Judaism, in that case, you stick your neck out for that too. Well, one last thing about the minion, maybe, I mean, it seems facetious, but it's, it's a real question. Like if Rambam were alive today, would the idea of publicness change? Like if you, somebody was, you know, gramming something, there's a public audience. For yeah, no, I... Like, what's the idea of being present? What is, you know, do we have to actually address that now thinking about it? Right. That's a really good question. Because on the one hand, let's say I'm, I'm seeking a minion and I'm, I'm an observant Jew. You can't, you know, Instagram live your audience into a minion so you could say Kaddish on the one hand. On the other hand, this is totally a messaging thing. So if the message is being received by thousands of people on Instagram, then perhaps it would fall into the category of a public domain. Mm. So there's, there's arguments on both sides. I, I'm no rabbi. Again, I need a longer beard to really whirl on these really complex issues. But I, I lean toward if it's on the internet being shown to not some corner of the internet, like not your aunt's Facebook page, but if it's like being you know, broadcasted onto some massive page and there, even if there's not 10 Jews present physically, but it's being broadcasted, it would be a case of a, enough of public messaging that you would consider um, dying for your religion in that case. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say one more thing about you being not being prepared to uh, to put cheese in your lock sandwich. Um, historically, is I, I can't give documentation for this, but historically, there's many, many cases of atheistic Jews, so, uh, socialist Jews, communistic Jews that took bullets for their religion that they didn't believe in mm. um, when when you know the historical die landed on a situation where they where they had to you know just in you, you'll read accounts in the concentration camps or whatever these people didn't practice any of Judaism. they ate intentionally you know these they were real real anti-religionists in these in 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 europe in those days some and they would eat pork on yom kippur like intentionally like crazy stuff you know stuff that we would say is like all right you're a nerd you know you don't have to be religious but like you're a little bit obsessive about this thing you know? why why do you think that is and a lot of it has to do with the, what the Rambam's saying. It's like, it's not, it's not the strap that matters. Who cares about the strap? Right. The message is that, do we bend? Do we bend? Hmm. Okay, number yeah. three. Yeah, yeah, for me, the cheese really does matter, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's why I, maybe that's too much of an example. Right. Okay, well, number three. Yeah. So all of these things, again, so I don't want to give percentages because once you get into percentages, it's really hard. But we said in, let's say, 90% of the cases, um, you live and you don't die. In certain specific cases, if it's a three cardinal sins or it's a time they're seeking to make a message in a public area, then you do die for your religion. But all of these cases were only said in a case where it's not Bishasa Shmad. Shmad means, I guess, roughly translated to convert away from, from Judaism. But if it's we're living in a period of, let's say, the Inquisition, where there, there are, there is a push by the idol worshippers to convert as many Jews as possible and to schlep them away from their Judaism. 
In that case, at the time of mass conversions, where people are, you know, leaving Judaism or forced to leave their Judaism. The who, and then the Rambam goes on a quick tangent and he says, what is defined as a Shasa Shema, a time of, of forced mass conversion? When a wicked king arises, like Nebuchadnezzar, who appears in the, in the Torah, the Chaverov or his cronies, the Yigzer Gzedal Yisrael and decrees a decree against the Jews. And what is that decree? Levatal Dasam to nullify their religion, or a specific one of the mitzvahs. In other words, there is a concerted effort from the top. I wonder if that's key or not, because sometimes it came from the bottom historically, but from the top. This is the case that the Rambam gives at least when there's a concerted effort from the top to nullify either Judaism in general or a mitzvah specifically. In that case, in every single situation, even if it's in private and even if it's not one of the three cardinal sins, and even if it has to do with benefits, etc., and it's not a messaging thing, still, in that case, you die, you do get killed, and you don't transgress the sin. Even on the other mitzvos about which the decree wasn't about. In other words, once it's clinched as a time of shasa shmad, a time of uh, mass conversion, forced mass conversion, even if their their decree was against, let's say, tefillin, and here this guy's twisting your arm about or holding a gun to your head about you know pork, it doesn't matter. Once that moment is of shasa shmad, where it's mass conversion being forced upon the Jews. In that case, for everything you risk your life for, for the protection of Judaism. Whether this forcing occurred in public, of in the presence of 10 Jews, or in private, it doesn't matter. Um, in that case, you always, always, always fight for what you believe in. And I feel like a lot of this halach has to do with the ripple effect. In other words, once you're giving in, they're going to be moving on to the next guy. And it's a lot of like psychological dominoes which fall. So you really have to drag your feet on every single moment and be prepared to take a bullet in every single moment at a time of forced mass conversion. This is, yeah, this is, it's like on the one hand, okay, right? You've got real tyranny and it's push comes to shove, you got to fight. On the other hand, it seems insane. Like one of the translations, it says not mass conversion, but arbitrary edicts at a time, which is not under pressure of arbitrary edicts, but I, you know, I, okay. Maybe it's something smaller. Just like you're saying a time where it could be something as, as small as, as uh, you know, one of the, like a, a, a transgression of any of these other sizes, mm -hmm. right? Like that mm -hmm. would count as part of this. So the idea of an emperor saying, you know, make me a sandwich on Saturday, or go climb that hill over there. And the recommendation is to die on the hill. That's, that's, that, you know, that's a, that's a lot depending. I think it really depends on what is the. I, I wonder if, either. I'm pretty sure if the emperor is strictly commanding you to do that, it still isn't rendered a, a time of mass forced conversion okay but everybody everybody's yeah, got to make everybody, saturday sandwiches yeah if he's doing it for everybody in that case it would be something that you risk your life for that's what it's saying in the rambo what what and then what is what qualifies as being that level like what is it the you know the 
head of the nation state that you're part of? Is it, uh, you know, when they say a wicked king, like, right. In one way, that's not how we live now. Would it just be a law that's passed? Would it be like, what, you know what I mean? That's a good question. I, you know, my, what's dawning on me now, I'm not saying I'm right. Your guess is as good. Your, your theory is as good as mine, but I'm I think it means from the top. In other words, if it's coming from hordes of marauding Cossacks and it's not coming from like the Russian government, then it wouldn't fall into the category of Shah Sashmad. But if let's say the, you know, like it did, like in Soviet Russia, where the government itself, even though it technically wasn't a king or a monarch, but it was another form of from the top uh, dictating against Judaism, in that case, it it would be considered Shah Sashmad, a time of time of coercion. What would that look like in America? Um, if, you know, if that show came to fruition where the Nazis took over, what's the name of that show again? Oh, um, uh, well, The Plot Against America. Yeah, or that's, also, it. that's it. Um, what's, the, um, what's the other one? Where, the, where the, it's like the Nazis won the, right, won the that war. One. They control. Uh, right. So, yeah, in America would be if Congress passed us something like that, you know. And I wonder, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Like if, if Congress passes something that is quite specific and not intended to hurt Jews, but nevertheless goes against a principle in Judaism, does that trigger a Shas Hashmad definition that it's a time right. of mass conversion? I mean, there are a lot of mitzvot, you know what I mean? There's a lot of ways that maybe... Right. And, and then there's also the difference between actually forcing and then sort of, you know, a kind of normative pressure that could be different towards so, what it is to be. So if I wanted to be like exacting in the Rambam's words, his example given is, is, is pretty illuminating because he says, when a wicked king arises like Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. which, which, to me, again, this is my interpretation, and if somebody listening has another one, we'd like to hear it. But to me, that seems that there's ill will involved. Yeah. Like they're seeking yeah. to be wicked toward the Jews, not just you know a bad tax policy that happens to you know transgress one minutia. Who knows? Whatever. Sure. Um, so that that's just dawning on me now. But got it. Yeah, that does make sense. Like, well, that's this, you know, everybody's got to, you know, it's a passes unanimously. Everybody's got to make sandwiches on Saturdays. Why is that the example that's <laughs> coming into my head? But it's very clear, just snow cooking. And so there it is. Um, then you wouldn't say, well, that's it. I guess we're all going to fight to the death and or kill ourselves i mean that's sort of you know i think of masada the story of masada also as an example and that's a you know it's a siege where there was no way out and so it wasn't really a fight i don't know i guess that's also sort of a question because so many the 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 wording in a lot of these are about just like he should choose to die and it doesn't like what you've been saying it's something you know to to fight to push back the language isn't that it's like he should choose to die instead. What does that actually Oh, mean? that's a good point. And I think the Rambam touches upon that later. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I learned it like two or three days ago. I learned this entire chapter. And he says, like, don't be an idiot about this. <laughs> you know, if there's, a, if there's an option, in the cases where 
you can escape, you escape basically. You yeah. Know, if it's verbal escaping, you know, you just kind of weasel your way out of it, or you could literally run away and escape the country. Then obviously, you do that. The Ramam says, like in the cases where, if I'm not mistaken, I learned it a few days ago. If in the cases where the Rambam rules that you do transgress the sin and you don't die. That doesn't give you the green light to be like, all right, let's do this, you know. We're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. dipping the knife into right. the smear to make the Saturday sandwich. You just stab yourself with it, like, ha, I gotcha, you know. <laughs> no, don't. Okay. No, okay. but it's also like if even when pork is saying eat the pork, you know, and don't die, doesn't mean you start like freaking going into the the, the bovine business and defining oh. yourself by pork for the rest of your life. I think it's ovine. No, that's sheep. Uh, oh, did I just make up that word? Porcine. Is is for what's bovine mean? For cow stuff. Oh shoot! Yeah, you go into the bovine business. <laughs> bovine business, all good. Total kosh. Bovine, bovine. Oh, shoot, kosh. you're right. Porcine. Porcine. It becomes the K becomes a C. Well, it's pork. Porcine. What do you want? You spell you pork want with a K. Me? You're right. Porcine. Dang, impressive, Adam. Hey, hey, do I know my animal adjectives or what? <laughs> <laughs> no offense i wouldn't get too chuffed because my uh secular education ended at the fourth grade for all intents and purposes so uh, yeah this is the problem you know we're not focused on geography and ethics and you know how, how financial systems right. work. we're focused on hey you know you're gonna take that test we gotta know what's <laughs> the family of pig stuff what are we gonna call that we gotta reform this education system in america <laughs> is what i mean all right yeah yeah <laughs> so that's that i think we covered it yeah would you say we did it we did it justice any any loose ends we didn't tie up i mean there's always loose the thing about all of these is that the gray areas especially as you translate or you are transposing something into what 900 years later now uh maybe yeah 800 900 i think so I mean, even by itself, even in the time, there is this, well, what counts exactly? And if you really wanted to know, you'd have to sit down with the guy the same as the way that we do any other kind of legal proceeding where there are lawyers on both sides of any argument and they both have arguments mm -hmm. because nothing is totally fixed. And then you add the millennium and there become a whole other set of circumstances that yeah. just are really not i mean that just allows for that gray area that you, what you're saying like reminds me so much of of the answer to the question that you know critics ask critics of the torah ask is like why is there an oral tradition everything should have been written if there's if the torah is written and mm. write everything why is anything passed down and subject to debate i'm like the answer is like really you want to write everything uh -huh. do you realize that there's like thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of books written on this thing and you want to get that everything at Sinai like Moses would have been coming down with like not duffel bags worth of books he would have been coming <laughs> out with like with like 18 wheelers down Mount Sinai yeah so yeah uh, so yeah we thrive in the gray you know we thrive in the gray you have to understand the principles thoroughly and you have to understand the text thoroughly and then you have added in the gray that's I think one of the best parts about any kind of it doesn't have to be a religion school of thought that just says hey listen there isn't going to be an absolute 100 percent." i mean with certain things maybe you can get close to that mm -hmm. but for the most part look you're gonna have debate around what to do or what is right 
and that's okay. And anything that doesn't acknowledge that gets pretty scary. Yes, I agree. I did. I would just say the, yeah. the one difference between that, we've maybe discussed this last time too. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, but the one difference between that and like total university, academia, freedom, you know, postmodernism, whatever, is that yes, there's a lot of gray and perhaps eternal debate, but do you believe slash acknowledge slash know in the existence of a truth? Now the reaching of that truth is it could be eternal, you know, an eternal path, but the the belief that it exists, I think is where those two fields diverge, like in postmodernism and especially in like the modern university, it's always like, Oh, there is no truth. There is no, and we'll, and that's why we could have fun with it. And in, in, in Judaism, I'm not going to speak for all religion, but in Judaism, it's more, the truth definitely exists, but because it's so pristine and so distant, that's why the, the debate is eternal. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what mysticism is, right? Like lowercase M it's not supposed to be some like floofy term, even though maybe now it's associated with all kinds of things, mm-hmm. but the idea of mysteries, mm-hmm. like that's a huge, and that, and that I think is something that is really relatable across major re- religious traditions, across ways that people think and want to think, you know, and like Sufism and mystical Islam, the, the idea of hakika, like truth, literally means truth. That's what you get at. And different sects are called um, tariqa. They would be a tariqa, which just means a path. So everybody's got their path towards truth. You get there? Not really, right, but you right. try and you do right. these collective things to feel like you're getting towards mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And that's mysticism. I think. I mean, there's a I lot buy of it. it. I, I buy it. it. Yeah, I'll buy that. Anyways, Adam. What the, what's our what's our clock now? Does it tell you on it? <laughs> I thought we we're gonna get it shorter than the last time, but how many? It seems, it seems like it might have been longer. I'm not sure. Anyway, I yeah. Well, I love this man. Yeah, same here. I, I learn a lot. My brain feels, you know, a little squishy, but but. It also like it's it's liberating in the sense that like you just need an hour and a half. You know what I mean? It, sure. Because when you're thinking of a podcast and the theory of it, it's like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna? T-? But then, then you just get on and you you know you cover some ground, learning, you chit chat a bit, and and it's recorded. Tune in next time for the Jewish theory of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know we have to cut it. It's um, a rabbit hole, baby. We're but we should discuss. It. But we should discuss also like weekly fun segments. I did. I tell you about. Uh, we have this girl here, Victoria, and she was saying that we should have the Jewish pun of the week. The pun of the week. Hold on. Are we signing off? Or are we making puns? Well, not. We're not signing off. We're signing off now. But we should consider. Or if anyone ever makes it this far into one of our episodes, submit a pun. <laughs> submit a pun. Submit That's a pun. How we survive for a long time. <laughs> For a long, I don't know what the earliest record of a, of a pun in Judaism is, but it, it probably, yeah, early, early pyramids. I hardly knew her. I don't know. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'll work on it. Shalom, Achi. We'll talk. Shalom, bro. See you later.